excuse me. I, I, I was waiting here. Where? I didn't see you. I've been standing here for the last ten minutes. I won't be long. Um, that's not the point. The point is, I was here first. Well, if you were here first, you'd be holding the phone. <laughs> you know, we're living in a society. <laughs> we're supposed to act in a civilized way. <laughs> Yeah? No. Does anyone ever display the slightest sensitivity over the problems of a fellow individual? No. No. A resounding no. Hey, sorry I took so long. Oh, that's okay, really. Don't worry. <laughs> and I ain't trying to mess with your self-expression, but I've learned the lesson that's stressing and obsessing. Welcome to Essential Coaching mind. Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coaches, welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. It's episode 14 of season two of Essential Coaching Conversations. Um, Kyle, we have a, an awesome episode planned for today. Uh, and obviously, we, we've been off for a little bit, but we are going to try to stack some episodes um, over the next couple weeks when we're both kind of on a break here um, to try to deliver content a little bit more regularly like we used to. I think you and I have both uh, found that our, our new um, stations in life are a little bit different and scheduling becomes really, really hard when commutes are a little bit longer, practices go a little bit later, and we're both still trying to figure out how to do what we do um, for a multitude of reasons. But anyway, Kyle, let's um, let's jump right in. Let's start with the athlete shout out would you like to go first or would you like me to go first uh you can go ahead i'm gonna go with uh lenny wilkins lenny wilkins was that yours i see a reaction there it might have been yours it's not yours i'm i'm uh, relieved because i was afraid that we had the same one so i'm i'm relieved fair enough fair enough no lenny wilkins uh, hall of famer um fantastic coach excellent point guard back in his day war number 14 um, I remember actually watching Lenny Wilkins coach. I think he coached the Supersonics, right? Back in the day. Um, back, I, I don't know if he coached Kevin Durant for uh, that first year. I don't think he did. But anyway, I remember watching him growing up. I mean, he's he's much older now. But um, yeah, Lenny Wilkins, number 14. To you, my friend. So I'm going to go with uh, another just amazing story, I think, in sport, because uh, you don't get really get to see this a lot. But I'm going with the Amish rifle, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I thought for maybe a second you might have gone with Ryan Fitzpatrick just because, um, you know, he played for every team in the league. Uh, and the last one he played for was your um, belittled uh, Washington football team a couple of years ago. I think that was the last stop he had. But, I mean, he played for like nine teams. There's all kinds of amazing stats if you go look up, you know, what he did. Obviously, a journeyman. He was a guy that, you know, probably wasn't going to – I think he had a couple of seasons where he started every game, but, you know, a, a bit of a – he was like the perfect backup. 
you know, so in week five, if your guy got hurt, you had Ryan Fitzpatrick and you could throw him out there and you wouldn't really lose much. And it's kind of amazing how long the guy played. I mean, it was like 15 plus years in the NFL and the hardest position uh, in sports. And for him to essentially gut it out and kind of just deal with that and the travel and, um, you know, I started for played for nine teams. Guys got seven kids. Uh, and just you think about like the craziness of life, you know, having to keep up with seven children and moving around like that. And um, I don't know, just amazing. But I mean, he was and when he played, he was really good. And so one of the interesting things is that he never really stuck with a team for more than I think Buffalo. He was there for like four seasons and that was really his longest stint. But he was somewhere two or three years and then he was going somewhere else. And you he's a guy you wanted on your team, um, but you also knew that he wasn't going to be a you know 16 game starting Super Bowl quarterback but it's still somebody you wanted around he's just really interesting stats I mean owns a tons of ton of records and when it comes to those like real obscure things um uh most consecutive games with 400 yards passing um most touchdowns of at least 50 yards uh through a team's first two games <laughs> and and the one person he beats is like a Joe Namath or, you know, and you, you pull up these stats and he's in the conversation with like Dan Marino's and Peyton Manning's and just interesting, like how he could live in that space, but only for a short period of time. So I just, I think he's a fascinating guy. Um, perfect score on the Wonderlick test, you know, was like one of the smartest athletes ever. He's a um, Harvard man, Harvard grad, just real interesting. But it was also like, not so like much like a Minshew mania, you know, but like he stuck more than that. But I mean, the guy was, you know, AFC offensive player of the month. I mean, he was, he was good. He was legit. Like is Ryan legit. Fitzpatrick a hall of famer from a, from a compiler and a stick around guy. Like, I don't think he ever will be, but I mean, I, I think in terms of like his role and how he dominated being that guy for so long, just to be able to, the longevity of that, I think is, I don't think it's hall of fame, but I think it's amazing in terms mm. of being that guy. He's like the hall of famer of that particular role, perhaps. Um, I don't know. I just, I think he's fascinating. Um, and was sad when he finally hung it up because I was kind of thinking like, okay, maybe the Cowboys will sign him. And if Dak ever goes down he can get you four wins, you know, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with the. I'll admit I didn't have a lot of 14s uh, in my head. Um, I will throw out one more quick little shout out. Our our president, Dr. Geis, uh, is retiring, and he's the 14th president of Louisiana Tech. And we just gifted him a a textures jersey number 14 the other day, and so he was another one I thought of. So I thought I'd throw uh, Dr. Geis 50 years at Louisiana Tech. Um, absolutely amazing. So uh, really incredible human being served our university for decades last uh, i think like 10 or 15 years as pre 10 as president um and i uh, got to do a real cool thing with him where he does these saturday walks uh, on campus and it's become a bit of a thing where students and faculty will show up and he had his official last saturday walk uh last weekend and so we all bunch of bunch of people band cheer regal blues uh, a lot of people from around town showed up and surprised him on that last walk. And that was a, that was a pretty cool moment. So as we were talking about 14s, that also kind of stuck out in my head. And um, so I'll go with the Ryan Fitzpatrick slash Dr. Les Geis episode. All right. So let's, let's jump in then. Um, 
you know, after talking about Fitzmagic, which, you know, I between him and Taylor Heineke, there were two very capable players with commanders and, you know, in typical commanders fashion, they just screw it up. So that's fine. But um, let's uh, let's go into the would you rather. And Kyle, you had a good one um, about starting slow or starting fast. Go run with it. Yeah, I think it's I think it is kind of timely for the episode because we're going to talk a little bit about kind of being where your feet are, quote unquote, if I could if I could start with some coach speak. Um, so assuming the result is the same. A one point win. All right. If I told you right now in your next game, you'd win by a point like you'd take the win. Right. Especially over a break and holiday and all these distractions and everything. Everybody would take a win regardless. But. Um, so the would you rather is would you rather start the game down 20 and come back with a one-point win, or would you rather be up 20 and survive with a one-point win? Give me down 20 seven days a week and twice on Sundays. Why is that? I I I, I don't know. I I love being <clears throat> I don't love being down 20. Let me preface it with that. I don't think anybody loves that. But the feeling of the comeback versus the trepidation of losing the lead, I'll take the feeling of that chase like 10 times out of 10. Um, I think there's joy in the chase. And I think Urban Meyer said this at one point, talking about winning national championships and whatever, but you know, like once you get to that mountaintop, it's like now you have to protect it. And it's not just kind of like paranoia all the time. I would rather be the one that's constantly chasing. And like, you know, we see what our kids are made of a little bit, um, you know, and if we happen to win, we happen to win. Great. Right. If we were down 20 and our kids show the gumption and the character to come back. I think there's far more value in that than there is being up 20 and sort of the opposite thing happening, right? Where we don't show the gumption in the character, perhaps when we let the other team back into the game. Um, I think also learning how to win is a skill. And I think being down 20 and learning how to win in that situation, you know, there's, there's obviously benefit to learning from being up 20 and winning, but I think there's just more, it's a better story too. Like, I think that's the other thing. Like when you tell that story, it's like, man, we were down 20. And then every year it becomes a little bit more like, wow, we were down 50 and we came back, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Right. Right. Um, no, there's, there's definitely, it's, um, what have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. Right. So walking away from that and just the, the, I definitely think there's sometimes there's a, a relief of not losing more so than the joy of winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll ask this in a second, but what's the biggest comeback you've ever coached in? I was down 26 and a half in a district game one time at Cedar Creek on the road, down 26 on the road at a rival. Mm. And we came back to win by, I want to say six or eight points. And I remember talking about it at lunch the next day about, you know, genius halftime adjustments, great halftime speech, all this great stuff, belief. And one of the old grizzled veteran coaches was like, yeah, you're the same dumbass that whose game plan got him down 26. 
it's also so, true. Yeah. So you can sit here and talk about what a genius you are for pulling them back, but he was like, you clearly weren't ready or this or that. And I, and so I, again, since we like being the contrarian on this show, I'll play that villain role here for a second and say, okay, is there, is there not value in the preparation and the ability to come out up 20, like the work and the value that goes into potentially being out, out preparing the other team or having your team ready to go. And yeah, maybe we took our foot off the gas and they made some adjustments or maybe we subbed or, you know, we need to, we need to kind of, maybe work on that killer instinct a little bit. But if we were to do that 10 times, I'd rather be up 20 over the course of, of, of a season and, and struggle to kind of hold the lead than be the other way around. Cause I feel like we're going to win more games that way anyway. Um, sure, but I think yeah. there could be some value in, in, in the ability to start well. Um, but I definitely think the bus ride home would be more fun if we were down 20 uh, and came back and won. Um, and again, I remember that night it was 26. I can't remember if we won by six or eight, but I know it was a couple of possessions and that was a, an absolute, just elated, thrilling thing to go into that visiting locker room after winning, knowing that we had been in there, you know, 30, 40 minutes prior and how dire everything was. And so that there, the, the belief in that we could still win being down 26 or down. Yeah down 26 and just knowing that we could even have the shot at doing it. I think there's a lot of value in that too. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think if I had to say, okay, one time, one night and one night only give me down 20. Um, but if we were going to make a habit of that, I'd rather be up 20 and survive. <laughs> um, Cause you're going to yeah. be more likely to come out on the, on the better end of that. Uh, just playing law of law of averages. But I also think like your kids will probably be end up being healthier too. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're not playing from down 20 all the time. I yeah, I think if it's one night, one night only, give me down 20 for sure. Um, I don't know what the biggest comeback has been. There haven't been that many where like we came back and we won. I think we came back and like took a lead, but then ended up losing the game. I remember at Annandale High School one time, I think we were down. I don't know, 18, 20 something. Um, you know, we ended up coming back in the side. It was like this furious comeback in the second half, but we still ended up losing, I think, by seven or something. Um, but we ended up tying the game and like hitting some big shots and stuff like that. Um, I think maybe against what is now Arlington County High School, it was TC Williams back in the day. Um, Maybe, maybe we were down 14 or something, ended up winning on senior day. Um, honestly, though, I can't really remember. I, I don't, I don't know. It's a really good question. I don't know. I don't even know how I would go look that up. You know what I mean? Like, I can go back to the scores, but I don't think anything's going to jog my memory to be like, oh, yeah, we were down by whatever in that game and ended up coming back to win. Um, I've got a I've got a crazy yeah. one for you. Um, and this wasn't half to half, but it was one game to the next, where we played the same team, a district team, in back to back mm. games one year. And we went to their place and lost by 42. Played them three days later and won by six. Wow. It was a 48 point swing from one game to the next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were some other 
thing. Like we had not had a gym all year and been on the road. This is when our gym flooded. Basically, had to play every game on the road, and that was our first game back at home. Mm. And I don't know if that was worth forty-eight points, but I'm also sure they beat us by forty-two. And three days later, they were like, Psh. you know, they did not come prepared. Uh, we did a great job lulling them to sleep by letting us <laughs> letting them beat us by forty-two. Um, but that's probably one of the craziest two game swings I've I've ever even heard of. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'd, I'd love it if somebody out there had a a similar story they could share where you got beat plus 40 and then a couple of days later you win the game. And there wasn't, it wasn't like we got three guys back. It wasn't like they lost half their team. I mean, it was the basically the same, you know, running it straight back. So no doubt in my mind, they, um, they overlooked us uh, just a couple of days later. But then again, like credit to our kids for, you know, even thinking that we could have a shot in that game and you build a little bit of, a little bit of belief and um, you know, you just kind of keep chipping away at it one by one. And I think that that segues nicely into what we're talking about, where we just kind of calm down and, and take a deep breath. And um, the main thing is not to get too excited and be able to um, just kind of catch our breath a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I, I wanted to talk about today. And as we, go into if you're listening to this you know around the time where we're recording it it's the holiday season um finishing up 2023 getting ready to go into 2024 uh most most coaches out there you've at least uh completed your season or you're probably halfway through a season now being halfway through the school year so you either coach a fall sport or you're you know catching your breath uh in the middle of your winter season and just kind of talking and thinking about how how stressful, you know, the holiday season can be in general, just for, you know, in life with your, your, your family, there's a lot going on The holidays can, can be a very stressful, um, and kind of, uh, difficult time for a lot of people. But I think specifically thinking about the year of 2023 and what all we've seen just in the last few years coming out of COVID, um, living in this social media age world, this global world where the world gets smaller and smaller. We always hear coaches lament kids these days. You know, they're different. These, these phones that are in their hands all the time uh, are a problem. Parents are different. Kids are different, yada, yada, yada. And when you just, you think about um, how much anxiety there is in everybody's life on a day-to-day basis, just in general, and a lot of things that aren't aren't even work related, even just socially, uh, the amount of anxiety that there is, uh, really kind of around everything. And it's it's almost kind of like it's a it's a given or a must, regardless of what it is you're doing. Even if you're going to the grocery store, you're going on vacation, you're playing a game, you're doing something that you you know apparently you love to do, or you're hanging around people you love to do. There's always just feels kind of like this baseline buzz of anxiousness. Um, and I, I think we see that specifically with kids in sport a lot. And it's, it's been a huge, um, huge part of our work with essential coaching, but it's really sort of turned into a huge part of our work with playmakers as well. Is Honestly, I, I think that's one of the biggest things that playmakers exist for is to remove a lot of the, anxiety, the angst, the 
just miserableness of playing a game that's supposed to be fun and that you love. And that carries over into all these other aspects and areas of life where, again, you're coming out of all these social traumas, COVID, um, the economy, wars, you know, everything on the news is always terrible. Uh, misinformation about this, misinformation about that. There's not, there's not a lot of good being spread around. And it just seems like we're sort we've become conditioned um, to be nervous or anxious about something all the time and just how unhealthy that is to kind of live that way. And even with everybody going into a break right now, like how many of us are going to get a few days off and actually be able to breathe? and relax and enjoy it. And, you know, the rest is music too. like actually recover where even if you're sitting in a quiet room by yourself, you know, during a Christmas break to get a chance to recharge, you're going to feel this anxiousness of even just sitting there, not doing anything. The fact that I'm not doing something might make me anxious. Um, and so I just, I think this is a, a, a pretty timely and timeless, um, conversation for us to have, especially, you know, right now going into this break and just kind of curious your thoughts on why do you think we're always so keyed up <laughs> all the time? To quote my wife's favorite uh, musical artist, and I think your wife's favorite musical artist as well, the uh, future Mrs. Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, you need to calm down. You're being too loud. Right. Like there, and I say this often to, uh, to my assistant coach, who's a psychologist who works at Harvard. Um, and we talk about this stuff all the time, but like our kids are at an 11 constantly. It's not just like our kids. I feel like that, that buzz you described, that's everyone being at an 11 all the time, right? Even just like commuting to work, people are like weaving in and out of lanes and like beeping and like, just calm down. You'll get there when you get there. You can't get there if you're dead. Just relax. Like it, it is all going to be okay. And even just this idea of like going, you know, game to game or, even class to class in some instances, or, you know, I got one bad grade and all of a sudden my life is over, right? That is really no way to live. If you're trying to live like a sustainable, somewhat mentally healthy life, right? And, and we have all been there, right? I think when I was in high school, it was very similar. Like we had a lot of kids who, um, you know, grades wise, we're like freaking out if they got a B. And in some instances, I was like, man, I got a B. This is great. Right. And then like you go home and there's an anxiety at home and then you, you know, you're comparing. And I think that that's the other part of this is like the comparison is the thief of joy part. And us being close to the time where Christmas parties are happening. I think that's where some of that anxiety comes from too. Right. We always talk about people trying to win the Christmas party. Well, okay. Maybe you don't get to win the Christmas party with your playing time or with your role on a team, but you can win the Christmas party because you're just proud of your kid. 
right? And that anxiety doesn't have to be related to an outcome or that story doesn't have to be related to an outcome. It can be related to, Hey, our kid is like happy and healthy, right? Cause three years ago during COVID or like during the height of COVID, we were all just clamoring for some sense of normalcy. Is this what normalcy is? I hope not. All right. Cause I think you and I talk about this all the time. Like, what did we learn from COVID? What did we learn from that time? And are we actually like applying what we learned from that time? Or are we just kind of like, Oh, well that was then this is now we're back to normal. So everything has to be back at an 11. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I really struggle with that because I myself am not like, admittedly, I am not a very anxious person. I like to think that I can keep it fairly loose and like, you know, I'm a good foil for, for the people in my life that are anxious because like after almost losing both my mother and my wife, to like different things, you sort of have a perspective that's a little bit different. Like, hey, if that ball goes in the hoop, great. If it doesn't, the sun's still going to come up tomorrow, right? Well, let's not get too excited either way, right? We can celebrate the great things, but we don't need to like have the exact opposite reaction. And, And just as fervently as we celebrate something, brood over other things that just like suck your soul away. Right. I think there's there's a level of calm that has to come over all of us. Um, and I'm just not sure how we get to that place. I think a lot of it is is rocketing the moment, you know, reflecting on it, raising your awareness to it. And it's one thing my wife tells me all the time, especially when we go, you know, if we're ever in public with other people or we hang out with friends or we go to a Christmas party or we go on vacation with people or whatever, she's she just commented. She's like, you're always so laid back. Like things don't bother you. And it's like, no, things bother me. I get bothered by quite, by quite a bit. Um, but I definitely think I have learned that getting worked up about it doesn't change anything. And it's, I, and I really love, again, not a sponsor or anything, but I, I love the daily stoic book. I mean, I, I love it because it's all about clarity. It's all about calmness. It's all about awareness. It's all about acceptance. And it's about, that's why I love the the topic of flow, you know, with Mahaley, like I love feeling like you've got more control over your life, even in instances where you probably don't because you can't control those things that are happening, but you can control how you're handling them. Right? Like we hear coaches talk about this all the time. We can't help what's happening, but we can control our choices and our attitude and our effort. And we don't, we say those things again, but we don't really, we don't really live by them. Um, and I think one of the things that really kind of, when I do get upset or the things that do aggravate me is when I realize that I'm getting aggravated about something and I'm not handling that well. Like I get more aggravated at myself by how I handled how something happened, not necessarily that you know, something bad happened or, um, cause there's a lot of things out there that are, are beyond our, our control. I mean, we, there, there really are. Um, but it does, it does feel like we're all sort of keyed up, especially over the last few years. And I think what is, 
you know, troubling and potentially extremely dangerous is like, I don't see that slowing down. I, I don't see the world calming down. I don't see, again, you factor in social media and, you know, all, all stuff that, you know, fear sells, like mm -hmm. it's good for business, you know, and it's good for clicks. It's good for, for eyeballs on things. Like nobody wants to read the, the feel good story. They want to read what potential doomsday, you know, thing is, is around the corner. Um, and so I, I don't, I think we've seen, a anecdotally anyway, a, a, a big ramping up of this, especially since COVID. And so it really kind of makes you wonder like, okay, by, by 2030, let's say in another six years, like, what is that going to be like? And I think it's, it's something I think about all the time with a, with a daughter who's seven going on eight years old. All right. By the time 2030 hits in six years, she's going to be what? 15 in, in high school. Yeah. She'll be 15, yeah. 15. I mean, it'll, it'll yeah. be time to start driving. It'll be time to start talking about homecoming dates and, you know, going out and hanging out at other people's houses and you get less control over and, and knowledge of where she is and what she's doing. And just, you, you think about kind of the direction that we're headed and, and just the fact that people will snap on you at a grocery store line mm -hmm. or in, in, you know, out in traffic and all of those kinds of things. Like to me, that is, is, us as a, as a community, as a society is, is scary. Like that's the stuff that kind of worries me, but I go back to like you talking about the Christmas party and it makes me think bullseye wrong target. We're sitting here trying to win a Christmas party or stressing over so-and-so winning a Christmas party when in reality, like you're at a Christmas party. Right. Like three years oh. ago, we couldn't be at a Christmas party. You had to have it on zoom. Somebody invited you to, a, you have friends, you know, even right. if they don't like you, like, you've got the ability to go to a Christmas party and have good food and have some drinks and socialize and be around people in the same room, which to your point, like wasn't even an option three years ago. They, they were mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't even get to see your grandma at Christmas this year. Tough. You yeah, know, you had to and, like go, go to the window or you were having them outside in, in lawn chairs or whatever. Right. Right. Like, and now you can go to a, and we're worried about like who's winning it. And it just, again, having the perspective over like something as silly as that is is kind of mind-boggling to me i think when you sit down and you actually think about it like these are the things that we're worried about of all the things that are out there that we could stress about and worry about like we're worried about a ball going in a hoop or not we're worried about playing 18 minutes versus 14 minutes we're worried about starting or not starting we're worried about you know being on the team or not being on the team. Cause I think that's the other perspective too. Like how do you keep, how do you keep a, a, a group of people in your organization happy? How do you keep a full roster of players happy? Everybody that got cut wanted to be the last person on the bench. Every last person on the bench wants to be in the rotation. Every rotational player just wants to be the sixth man. Every sixth man just wants to start every starter wants to be the one getting the most shots. Mm -hmm. Every player out there getting the most shots thinks they're all district, all conference. Every all conference player out there thinks they should be MVP. So there's never, there's, there's this element of like never being satisfied with where you are, or what your role is, or being where your feet are and being able to dominate that particular role. When every person that, you know, you're, you're looking at, you're, you're in, back into that comparison game, like you said, and you're like, oh man, I just wish I was on the team. But the person that's on the team doesn't 
appreciate the fact that they're even on a team, mm-hmm. that they are in the rotation or they are on the travel roster or they are starting or they are getting shots or they are impacting winning in a number of different ways. And I think part of my, I guess my answer to, you know, the question is I, I I'm guessing and I'm assuming trying to assume good intentions in people and assume good intentions in society is that we stay keyed up because it means we care. And that if I act sort of the George Costanza, like if I look frustrated at work, you'll think I'm busy, you know, and you'll leave me alone. So like, is some of, is some of the angst is, is some of the, the frenziedness people trying to act like they care maybe even more so than what they really do. Is it something we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to be upset by little things because it shows that I care or I'm not satisfied or I'm no days off and I'm always grinding and I'm relentless and I'm, you know, all those kinds of things where that's sort of the norm in society. And the only way for us to keep up and compare to everybody else is to just constantly act like we're stressed and pissed off all the time. And we're never happy. You go on a, you go on a three, four, five, six game losing streak and you're able to break that losing streak with a win. And what do most coaches do? They're like, Oh, we still didn't rebound. Well, we still didn't shoot. Well, we still gave up too many points in the paint. It's like, we won five games ago. You'd have given anything to win. Mm-hmm. And here you win and you play well, but we're going to go. And it's just like, at that point, like, do you just not want to be happy? Is there nothing that's ever going to satisfy you? And if, and if that's the case, then like, is that an existence that becomes sustainable? No, I think that's why so many coaches are having heart attacks at like 30. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is a matter of perspective. I think that's what it comes down to. And like, you know, one of the, one of the um, essential 11 is learning to live with pace and peace, right? Learning when to speed up and when to slow down. and that's no more evident or important now than it was 12 years ago when I wrote it. But like, I just think that there's so much to do with economics. And like, the reason I say that is I think a lot of this is born out of like a scarcity mentality that like, there's just not enough to go around. So I have to freak out and be anxious and, you know, I'm not going to be able to get mine because somebody else is going to take it. Not realizing like there's enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's probably more than enough for everybody. And you just have to be able to wait your turn a little bit. But what does that require you to have? It requires you to have patience. It requires you to have perspective and it requires you to be able to be at peace with where you are currently. It doesn't mean you don't try to get better. It doesn't mean you don't try to improve. But if all you're doing is worrying constantly about things that you can't control or things that are outside of like your purview, then like you can drive yourself to an early grave. And I think it's why we see too, like this idea that, you know, people are just so isolated yet. They've never been more connected. Yeah, they are isolated because people choose to isolate themselves. Right. And then they wonder like, oh, do people like me? Am am I going to get invited to that Christmas party? And then when they go, it's like, oh, like this anxious, just. Did I say too much? Did I do this? Did I do like just 
breathe. You're there because people like you, right? This is almost like our, our performance cue card, right? The, yeah. the destructive thoughts and the evidence to the contrary. If more people just engaged in that level of reflection, I think we would see a little bit more of like the calmness and like, okay, well, my kid didn't play all that much today, but it's not the end of the world. Because guess what? We get to do this again later. Right? As a as a player, right, relating this back to a team or to sport, I understand my role and I know exactly what it is we're trying to do. And today just wasn't my day. There's nothing weak or wrong about saying that. Right? But the idea that we got to be keyed up to an 11 and hold on to these negative feelings and like, let it eat us alive when literally no one else is thinking about it. That's that to me is probably the most destructive thing where you're just, and you know, the kids would say like, I'm in my feelings or whatever. Right. Or like, you know, they're in their head and it's like, yeah, you are in your head, but that's where that anxiety comes from. And, and even if it goes well, like, yo, don't get, it's never as good or as bad as you think. Mm-hmm. Right. It's and I, I remember saying that or texting that to one of our players, like, it's never as good or bad as you think. Right? I think the kid turned it over like eight times during the game, but lo and behold, an Ivy League school wanted to talk to them after the game. Right. And they're like, wait, really? And I'm like, Yeah, it's never as good or bad as you think. One bad performance or one less than stellar performance is not the thing that is or is not going to get you a scholarship or an opportunity to play at the next level. What people are looking for is your bounce back ability. And I think that is something that has been lost. And partly because our our youth, especially this generation and kind of our generation too, Kyle, like has had to um, navigate so much societal trauma and like we're sort of resilienced out. But that like you can talk about it as like as everyday guys right like that's what everybody's looking for is that consistency of habits and like how do you respond when bad things happen i'm just not sure we we are teaching or we we haven't taught as adults like mistake response like how you model your own mistake response as an adult is what kids are going to pick up on and so if you're sitting in the stands like covering your eyes at last second free throws, like, what do you think your kid is going to think about that? What are they internalizing, right? How, how much anxiety does that produce for them? And so then it becomes this like generational cycle of that trauma and that anxiety that just like, that's where we are now, right? Because so many people feel like there's not enough to go around and like, they have to set their kids up for whatever. And you know, and then as adults, like they have to treat people a certain way just to get what they want and their needs are the most important. It's like, no, like that's not how this works. And to, to mention George Costanza, like we live in a society, right? There are rules to this. You can't treat people any which way you want just because you need to get something. You got to see the bigger picture. I think that's where we're, we're sort of just, unfortunately, We've sort of lost our way in that way, but I think to your to the to the title of the episode, like everybody just needs to take a deep breath. It's gonna be okay. 
you win the Christmas party simply because you're at the Christmas party. Your kid is not a commodity. Your profession is not who you are. You don't have to brag on every single thing. Like it's okay to have a little humility because you know what comes with humility? Peace. You might know that you're awesome. You don't need to tell everybody. Let them decide that for themselves. And you likely don't get an invite to that party unless one of two things is true. Number one, you're either so annoying that they have to include you or they really genuinely like you. Either way, you still won because you get to do that. But if you're sitting there like, I don't care if they think I'm annoying, I'm going to be like, you're probably not going to have very many friends left. And that's probably more anxiety inducing than anything else. When the only Christmas party you get to win is your own because you're not part of it anymore. Right. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. But that's the, one of my favorite quotes from that book. Seneca is we we're often more frightened than we are hurt. And he talks about, suffering more from your imagination than from mm. actual reality. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're worried and we're frightened about something that might happen. And we suffer more that way than we actually suffer from reality. We're, we're usually more scared of what might happen than we are actually hurt by what is going on. And I, I, I'm a, assuming one of the reasons we do that is just because we're pretty ego-driven and self-absorbed, and it's because it's happening to me. And whatever is happening to me right now is happening to nobody else. Mm-hmm. And because it's happening to me, that's why it's tragic. And this would only happen to me. This never happens to anybody else. And when in reality, there's a million people out there that would trade lives with you right now in your particular situation. Like, give it to me right now. Everybody's, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? And stopping to not just have some thankfulness and stuff, but just some awareness on like where you are, maybe where you've come from um, and how far you've come is, is I think just a, a, a valuable reflective exercise that you can do to just to appreciate not what you not worrying about what you don't have, but more, you know, appreciating what you do have. And, you know, you, you don't like something going on in your daughter's classroom at the private school you send her to. It's like, well, you get, have the means to send your kid to a private school to get a good education. You know, you don't like something happening at work. It's like, I have a job. Like there's, there's safety and stability and there's value in those kinds of things. And um, doesn't mean you have to be satisfied with it and you don't want to try to better yourself and you want to be competitive and all those kinds of things. Like, again, there's, there's value in a lot of that, but it's, it's homeostatic. There's a balance to a lot of it. And you know, you, you want to be water. You want to be neutral. You want to be on a pH scale. You'd be a seven, you know, on a zero scale of zero to 10, you want to be a five. Like, doesn't mean we don't need to be a seven at times. And maybe we need to come down to a three at times, but you can't live in an 11 forever. You're, you're gonna wear out or burn out. You can't live at a one all the time either. You know, you got to have a little, a little want to, a little fight, a little, you know, put a foot up at sometimes like all of those things. There's places for all of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but I think 
knowing kind of when to turn your dial up or down is obviously a, a, a massive tool in a, in reflection and awareness at the same time. And, you know, I had, I had something, a potential something that could have happened at work um, that would have, would have made life really difficult for me and my staff. And we knew it was going to take about a month to figure something out. And I, if I, if I give myself credit for anything over growing up over the last 10 or 15 years, it was spending the last month not worrying about it because there was nothing I could do about it and was just going to wait until the thing was either going to happen or not happen. And lo and behold, guess what happened to seem? It all worked itself out. It all ended up being fine. And it has been interesting to look back over the last four to six weeks and almost, you know, be like, all right, pat myself on the back. Like, I didn't waste a lot of energy worrying about something that actually didn't come to fruition, which saves some energy for me to tackle things that were controllable during that time. And we're in a better spot now than we were then because I didn't have to run around chasing 14 rabbits that didn't even exist. And I'm not saying that's easy. There were a lot of times where I wanted to fret and worry about it, but at least being able to take a deep breath and going, okay, there's nothing that we can solve right now. Let's wait. Let's think about some contingencies and be, you know, be prepared. Uh, if, if something were to pop up again, nothing, nothing wrong with that, but losing sleep over it, not taking Kendall, you know, and, and spending time with her after school or not going home and having dinner with my wife in order to worry about stuff like that, that was never going to happen. I'm really glad I didn't pass up on a lot of those opportunities because that's exactly what I would have done 10 years ago. I would have not gone home. I would have not gotten dinner. I would have not spent time on the couch. We would have not had a conversation. I would have just constantly worried. And again, I think part of that was very ego-driven. A lot of that was me being very self-absorbed. And a lot of that was me saying, hey, I've got to be prepared for every possible scenario. And the only way to do that is to think about this thing 24-7. And um, if I've grown up in any kind of way over the last 10, 15 years, I would say that's that's been probably the biggest area is to take a deep breath, don't get too excited, calm down a little bit, be prepared and handle things and attack them as they come, but let's not sit here and waste a bunch of time and emotion and energy over things that most of those things, seven, eight, nine, 90% fake statistic, most of those things aren't ever going to come to fruition in the first place. And we can, I feel like in some ways we can be more prepared to tackle the one or two things that do come our way because we're going to be rested at that point and we're going to be ready at that point. And there was a, a, a meeting I had with the, our department um, in the last week or so, just kind of reflecting on all of us being new and all these new roles and, you know, thinking about all the stuff that we've been able to accomplish. And the phrase that I use with them is that I'm, I'm proud, but I'm not satisfied. Like we, we can get better. There are certain things and nitpicky things that we do need to get better at, you know, a mistake here that happens two or three times. Like that's not acceptable. We do need to get better. We don't have to be satisfied with those things, but we can look back and be extremely proud over what we have done and where we have come from and considering what we are able to pull off with what we've got and the resources and the people and all those kinds of things. It doesn't mean that in six months we won't be better. And if we're, if we're, you know, just as good now as we are in, in March, like I won't be happy with that. We do, we do need to constantly push and try to get better, but 
there is nothing wrong with being proud of who you are, where you are, where you're come from, and still have a little bit of that uncomfortableness under your skin to want to want to improve and want to get better. But again, it's all, I think it's all a balance. And if we're spending every waking moment keyed up at an 11, frenzied, anxious over things that don't even exist, it's going to be very difficult to eventually maximize whatever our group or our individual potential is, I think. How much of it is just manufactured because we have too much free time? Like, I often think about that. Like, I don't have a lot of free time, so I don't have a lot of time to worry about stuff. And so I think this goes back to the what you were talking about. Like, hey, you have a job, all right? Like, you have food on the table. You're being invited to things. Like, I think when you have more disposable time, you can spend it worrying about things, right? And so that becomes a choice. And we're talking about like the next best decision is the next best decision to worry about what might happen or is it to like try to stack the deck in your favor to make sure it doesn't happen. Hmm. And I think by and large, utilizing whatever power you have to stack the deck in your favor needs to come with the caveat of understanding how it also affects other people. And I think that's what this whole conversation is really about is just having the self-awareness to know how your actions affect other people. And if, if we can do that, we're going to be fine. But I think because we all, and I'm saying we all as a general statement, live in this world of like being at an 11 and being reactionary and like, trying to jump from one thing to the next and wanting the immediate gratification of, of like, or not even just immediate gratification, but like an immediate result of something. It's like, no, if you put your money in the stock market, you don't get an immediate return on it. You have to wait and you have to go through the ebbs and flows. If you don't, then you're just going to hyper trade yourself into the, like to being broke. Like, that's a real thing. That's the same thing with your energy. It's the same thing with the attention you pay to things. It's the same thing of, like, how you treat other people. If you're just hyper-trading all of those things, emotionally and, like, your tank is just going to be empty, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to be broke at the end of the day. You might have a lot of money, but what did you spend all your time doing? hyper-trading your relationships, going from an 11 to a 15 over something that just required a little bit of perspective, and you treated people really, really poorly during that time. And because of that, you find yourself alone. And I think that, right, like to me, that's, that's all I really have to say on the topic. Like, I would hate for that to happen to anyone. But particularly because of their own doing because they couldn't regulate themselves and because they couldn't just take a step back and just take a deep breath and trust that it's going to be okay. And this is coming from somebody who like doesn't trust that it's going to be okay a lot, but I'm also not going to be an anxious wreck about it 
because there's so many things that are within my control. And if I choose not to control them because I want to bitch about something else, that's my choice. And I did not make the next best decision. So making the next best decision or understanding that having the awareness that your decisions affect other people, that really ties this back into a leadership conversation where your decision, if your decisions are impacting other people, then you have influence over other people. Meaning that regardless of title or position, senior, freshman, 28 minutes, four minutes, 20 points a game, two points a game, your decisions are impacting those around you. You have, you therefore have influence over them. And you therefore have some influence over whether or not they're at 11 or they're down to a seven. And I think that's a really great point that we have to constantly come back to and understand that we are out here, not just trying to affect ourselves, but the way we act might affect other people. And we, there's going to be some impact on that. And it, it's, it's amazing. Again, it seems like every time we talk about anything, it comes back to influence and character. It comes back to the next best decision. It comes back to recruiting. It comes back to relationships. It comes back to, we're living in a society, you know, we might be doing something that's good for me, but it might be detrimental to everybody else and all this and that. And, you know, we, again, just living in this world of constant coach speak about how we're family, you know, our teams are families and, you know, we're all in this thing together and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then we have to understand that if I take something, if I get something, it has to come from somewhere else. Like, Resources are finite, right? There is enough for everybody for, you know, typically for everybody to kind of get theirs to go around, but there's only so much stuff. So if I go to take, it is coming away from it, coming out of somebody else and, and sort of have to weigh the social capital of like, okay, is that worth it or not? Because as you said, like you're, you're wanting this instant gratification of, let's say, you know, playing in the stock market. You want the instant gratification of the win. You want the instant gratification of the quote unquote work you're putting in. But if you don't live through those low times in the stock market, there is no high time in the stock market. There is no great um, story about a 20 point second half comeback unless we're down 20 in the first half. Like you have to live through kind of the shitty time in order to celebrate that good time. And I don't feel like you're going to be able to celebrate the high time unless we take a moment to breathe, calm down, relax. It's okay. Hey, we're four of 17 in the first quarter right now, but we're getting great shots. Calm down. We are playing our way. They are 12 of 17, but they're taking the shots we want them to take. We are forcing them into these one dribble mid-range pull-ups and they're hitting them. Calm down. Take a breath. We're going to keep making them take those shots. We, on the other hand, are getting wide open corner threes and getting to the free throw line. We're just not converting, probably because we're at an 11. And if we would take a deep breath while we're at the free throw line or while we're wide open in the, in the corner, those shots eventually will start to fall and all of this stuff will start coming back our way. But there's no chance of that if we stay frenzied, if we stay, you know, at this hyper state and we don't trust the fact that what we're doing, because again, but I, there's a plan. 
there has to be a plan and we have to be able to trust that plan. And that's a conversation for maybe another day. And I know we've had that on this pod before, but I definitely think there is, there is value right now in a, in a world where we, you and I have both been frenzied recently trying to just find time to record. It's been hard. And now that we finally get a chance to do that and allow the world outside to kind of stop for an hour or so, it's a really great moment to sit here and kind of reflect on what's going well, what's not going well, and then the myriad of other things that we thought weren't going to go well that never came to fruition in the first place. And get back to allowing us to essentially control what we can control. Um, but doing it in a way where our actions and decisions aren't negatively impacting other people. And we just get back to, again, as you said, Megan will be pumped that we talked about Taylor Swift in an episode, but you need to calm down. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And it, again, it sounds simple and, it, and I get that it's not simple most of the time. But I think it's probably one of the best exercises you can self expression, but I've learned a lesson that's stressing and obsessing about somebody else's no fun. Just simply take a deep breath. Keep the and snakes and stones never broke my bones.